Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Insights, conversations with today's storytellers. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Dave Robison. And I am the still around, non murdered, and completely non robotic Marie Villado. <laughs> You have tuned in to the non-murdered, not robotic, completely organic Archivos Insights. Archivos Insights is a podcast featuring conversations with the stellar luminaries of the storytelling firmament, robotic and otherwise. We're all striving to refine and improve our storytelling chops, and what better way to do that than to ask amazing crafters about their process. Absolutely. And as always, dear friends, the Archivos Podcast Network is brought to you by Archivos, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. Uh, Marie Billado, see everyone, I told you she would be back. God, it has been like a month, dear, uh, more actually for our listeners since we've had the chance to hear your dulcet tones over the potosphere. It is a delight to have you back, ma'am. It is a delight to be back, although I have to admit I was a little bit confused when you said we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and then you asked me, where did you go? <laughs> I was obviously doing a better job at hiding than you were at seeking, quite frankly. Yes, I, I will own that. I will absolutely own that. <laughs> <laughs> I will never play that game with you again. You are entirely, I'm too good at it. You are way too good at it. Way too good at it. Well, all right. Let, let's get into this. Uh, uh, welcome back, ma'am. Set yourself down. Let me uh, introduce you or reintroduce you, as it were, to our guest host for this episode of Archivos Insights. May I? Oh, yes. I look forward to this. I've missed this, my friend. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> let's not put it off any longer. Friends, our guest host for this episode is that guy. That guy doing all the cool things. That guy who you want to be your older brother, who you want in your game, in your social media feed, and on your bookshelf. He's been on the show before, and you can check out his lengthy and stalkerish intro from his episode back in June of 2015. But, like all true creators, he hasn't exactly been twiddling his thumbs in the intervening years. Now, when last we met our intrepid literary rogue, and there can be no doubt, dear friends, that our guest host skews heavily towards the rogue class, uh, he had published Damerin, the first of the Valdican series, uh, about an order of modern demon hunters armed with sentient weapons. Uh, the second book, uh, Hunassier, was due for release with more on the way. Well... Hunassier released into the world and the audiobook narrated by R.C. Bray was nominated for an audio award for Best Paranormal Audiobook. The third Valdican book, Ibenus, released in September 2016, and the fourth book, Redemptor, is finished, queued up, and looking for a publishing home even as we speak. He even had the rare pleasure of walking into a Barnes & Noble and seeing his books on the shelf. That has got to be a rush. Uh, he also wrote a couple of tie-in short stories in the Valdican canon, uh, Hungry Eyes and Ray on Wesselsburg that were published with the Snafu series by Cohesion Press. Now, 
in 2015, he had also published the first anthology of sword and sorcery tales featuring Arryn, the Black Raven, in Mountain of Daggers. Since then, the Sea of Quills anthology has also been released, continuing the sword and sorcery adventures of Arryn as he clashes with pirates and subterranean monsters while busting out of heavily fortified prisons and being hired to assassinate immortals. God, it sounds epic and badass. Uh, so he's, let's see, let, let's recount here. He's rocking an inspired and well-received urban fantasy series and an ongoing collection of sword and sorcery tales. But really, why stop there? Why not craft a tale that's a new weird fusion of urban fantasy horror and portal fantasy? Why not indeed? And thus, Ashes of Onyx became a thing. A thing that was recently finished, clocking in at over 100,000 words, and currently being polished and shopped about in search of a home. He was also invited to speak at Alcon, FenCon, and DFWCon, affirming his ascension into the ranks of those who should be heard and get in free at conventions. Absolutely. Absolutely. He launched a YouTube channel featuring a veritable cornucopia of RPG reviews, philosophy, and delicious nerdery that currently has over 9,000 subscribers and topped 100,000 views recently. He recently spent 10 days touring Israel and a two-day hop into Jordan to explore Petra. Now, friends, rumors that he found the Holy Grail there are completely unsubstantiated. But some of us will be watching him very closely over the next few years to see if he stops aging. And last but not least, last July, he performed a sacred ritual among professional writers that is rare, exhilarating, and terrifying all at the same time. He quit his job and committed himself fully to writing and geeking out. Now, I'm sure that was a huge step but I think I speak for everyone here at the Archivos Podcast Network when I say that with his passion, commitment, and storytelling mojo, the risks of such a step are minimal. And the rewards for the rest of us will be mighty indeed. Dear friends, please welcome back to the big chair here in the Archivos Podcast Virtual Studios, Seth Skorkowski. Seth, man, it has been two years since we had you in the studio. That is one year and 10 months, far too long. Dude, you have been doing so much. So much is coming out since then. I'm sure more to come. I am so deeply grateful for you to make the time to come in and see us, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. I, I, do have, I do have one addition to that. Uh, Audible Original Productions has purchased Redemptor. Really? So they are producing uh, the, the whole advance, all that stuff, and they will release it as audi audible only at the beginning of 2018, and it's going to be an exclusive thing with them for six months before it is allowed to be released in other formats. Pretty pretty nice gig. That's sweet and a huge boost for Valdican fans who actually get to hear this fourth book that has been sitting waiting in the wings. Yeah, I am I am looking forward to this. That's awesome. Is is RC Bray doing the the narration again? It that is the plan. I haven't heard the confirmation. So, uh, across my fingers, he's he's told me that he wants to do it, but 
I haven't heard the official we got him. <laughs> you know, since he's done the first three and we we had the uh, audio award nominations, I'm pretty sure yeah. uh, they're going to get him again. That would be awesome. Well, and continuity too. And he did a superb, superb job with the first three books. So, so yeah, oh, wow. that would be huge. Dude, congratulations. That's outstanding. That's just outstanding. Um, now, before we dive into the actual craft conversation, Seth, um, one thing that I know uh, about you is at least, at least at one point in your life, Halloween used to be like your Christmas. And I was oh, wondering yeah. if you could give us a recap of, of, of this year's Halloween celebration at Shea Skorkowski. Uh, uh, just, just, just a quick overview. Was it awesome? This year, it was it was not very exciting, actually. Uh, my wife and I went out with some friends. Uh, we did dress up. Um, and then we went wild on the streets of Denton, Texas, meaning we, we had dinner with some friends. Uh, then we visited a speakeasy. And that was, that was about it. Wow. So not, not as fun as it was when we were, when we were younger. But, yeah. um, what, so. were you, what were your costumes? Uh, I actually, we've gotten really into this 1920s occult thing. So mm-hmm. I actually did black tie with a cloak and this this big gaudy pendant and a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, cape. Nice. And mostly people just kind of looked at me weird going, what are you? Are you what? like a vampire? Like, no. no. <laughs> if you have to explain your costume, you you, you may be failed. running either, you're running in the wrong circles or yeah, you failed. Uh, but still, I'm sure it looked awesome. I'm sure it looked fabulous. So, well, okay. No, you know, you gotta have those down, down years so that when you have the truly epic years, there's a, there's a sense of context and, and, and framing. All right, let's get into this. Let's, let's chat. Cause Seth, there's a lot I want to ask you about. I'm going to go ahead and set our clock here, which I'm sure we will ignore. Uh, but that's okay. Um, Seth, I wanted to ask you your, your love of of the pulp genre is is not a secret and i wanted to ask you um because i you know we both kind of came into the world of of speculative fiction through people like fawford and gray mouser and conan and those those pulp heroes that really sort of laid the foundation for the genre as it is today um i wanted to ask do you feel that protagonists of contemporary pulp tales have the same mandate of of uh, a character arc or, or or evolution that other genre stories have because in thinking about you know Fawford and Grey Mouse or Conan uh, the stories introduced exotic scenarios and antagonists but really the main characters don't change much at all uh, uh, or or very very little over the course of not just one story, but several stories. So it seems like the pulp hero is supposed to stay the same. Do you, do you agree with that in, in the context of contemporary pulp? Nowadays, it's just not uh, popular like it was. Uh, yeah, I always, I always referred to it as the adventure of the week. Uh, where <laughs> yeah. If you, uh, if, to give my example, if you bring it to like television, you know, in the, in the 1980s, you had, you had pulp TV shows where you could really just catch any episode, and it didn't matter if you'd ever seen it before. If you'd never seen MacGyver before and you caught a random episode, you knew what was going on and who these people were within about two minutes. Sure. And then yeah, if you caught them out of order, it didn't matter because it was MacGyver and he did amazing stuff, and we loved it. 
And now storytelling on, on that medium has evolved to the point where it's, you know, kind of soap operas and we have these long epic tales and you can't miss an episode or you're lost forever. Uh, so I think that that kind of adventure of the week style is kind of gone underground. It's just not, it's not as popular as it was where the, let's just do kind of a quick yarn. But at the end of the day, our character is pretty much where they started. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's not a, a, a big arc. Now, so Conan had that weird effect of they were out of order. And sometimes he was an old man looking back and other times he was young <laughs> and, and wild, but yeah, that's just, that just worked for that story individually. Well, and that'll happen when, you know, five or six people are writing the stories uh, yeah. as you move forward, you know, from El Sprague to Camp and, and Lynn Carter and all of those. Everybody got their hands on Conan at some point or another. So in that context, then, with with uh, the, that flavor of the week, that adventure of the week modality that uh, uh, seems to infuse the older pulp, is there a place for pulp in modern speculative fiction or, or modern fiction in general? There's uh, there's kind of some smaller years. There's like um, Heroic Fantasy Quarterly it's come out. So it's 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 gotten really, really small and indie. Uh, yeah, I, I just kind of see as this stuff will work in cycles. You know, probably, probably when I'm an old man and not writing anymore, it'll come hugely back in fashion. <laughs> Well, I'll be like, damn it, I missed my window. I, I, yeah, it's okay. Well, how do you classify uh, the the Black Raven stories? Are you? Are uh, they're you, pulp. They are pure pulp. They're, so, so Aaron are. Aaron doesn't change from one story to the next much, very much. He 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 does he does very little. Yeah, you know, some things will hold over. If if you were to do them in order, you will see a change. But at the same time, you know, it's more about the adventure. Uh, than anything else, or it's. Uh, I've recently gotten into all the old James Bond novels. Metal <laughs> just it powered through all of those, and it's kind of the same thing. Those weren't really about him as much as they were about you know the exotic locales and the the, the mystery and action and you know, sure. that. So, and then actually in the last few ones, he got really into his his own morality, which is weird because you never expect that with Ian Fleming, but. You know, what do you know? <laughs> it's just about the the action and adventure, and there there is growth, but yeah, not as much as you you yeah, readers want now with current as stories, where it's very focused on the character and all the action is, you know, it put at the same level as the character growth. So sure, sure. So uh, are you planning on continuing uh, uh, the Black Raven series? I am. I, I've I've got this huge list of notes and ideas. Uh, the, the problem is, I keep coming up with other stuff that ends up taking uh, kind of a precedent. And my my last desire for it has evolved into a totally different sort of adventure with totally different characters because it actually had more character focus than I would normally do with the Black Raven. It's like, okay, I need to use someone else for this. Um, I'm actually working on a fantasy uh, spy series that is a, a duo because when you do individual characters for a series, you sometimes need a sidekick or someone for them to talk to. Sure, a foil uh, of some kind, yeah. It's, you know, they talk about with Batman, that's where Robin originally came from. It's like, man, it'd be really great if he just could tell robin what what he's thinking that way the reader knows what he's thinking <laughs> otherwise they're monologuing all the time yeah so i'm i'm kind of working on something in that regards right now that 
started with this would be great if it was Black Raven. It's like, no, I want I want more character. I don't want this one to be as pulpy as my last stuff. So <laughs> eventually I'll get back to knocking more out. Sure. But you've you've evolved as a writer. A lot of words have gone under the bridge uh, uh, since Mountain of Daggers and Sea of Quills came out. Oh, yeah. Well, because um, those were collections of stories that I published also years ago. So right. I'm about to hit the 10-year anniversary of the first Black Raven story hitting print. Well, it is coming up this February. Wow. So when we just released Mountain of Daggers and my, and my new publisher, uh, Crossroad Press, we re-edited it. And I was looking at the, one of the stories in there. I was like, I've been editing the story now for 10 years. Because it was about this time 10 years ago, I edited it for Flashing Swords magazine. Like, I never want to edit the story again as long as I live. Time to I, move on. I, I did this at the end of 2007. I don't want to. I don't want to ever have to change any words in that one until the day I die. <laughs> I think you've earned that so. right. I think you've earned that right, Seth. Uh, uh, and if nothing, else, we bestow that upon you. We anoint you with that that empowerment to never have to edit that story again. <laughs> you poor guy, Marie. What about you? I know you've got questions for Seth. <laughs> I definitely do. Um, I love that discussion on Pulp Fiction, by the way. I'm a huge Pulp fan, and I, I like the uh, the insights that you bring to the discussion. So thank you for that. Uh, that was fun. Now, I, I want to kind of take us a little bit away from the Pulp literature and even a little bit away from prose, because you might, uh, as, as Dave hinted at the beginning, uh, we love all types of uh, storytelling here at Archivos, and uh, be they great, small, prose, song, page, or video. And when I was uh, stalking you online, not to the degree that Dave does, because nobody stalks anybody to the degree that Dave does, uh, one of the things that I had fun playing on for, for quite a while um, is your YouTube channel, which yes. has more than like 9,000 subscribers, super popular. And so just to frame it for our listeners who haven't had the chance to stumble on this, uh, you chat on lots of uh, RPGs, you review some games, uh, you give some game master tips and tricks as well, which are really fun. And what I really loved about it is you tell, you build those videos in a very storytelling fashion so that um, you even have some stage conversations where you take on multiple roles as various players in the campaign, which I just, I just loved. I was killing it. Um, it's well done. And I think it's part of the popularity of these videos. Um, I mean, aside from your natural charm, of course, which you've proven to us all today, is also... You're building it like a story. You're you're giving us tips and tricks on how to be a better game master while you're telling a story at the same time. And you have kind of a, a narrative structure and arc to the videos. So I could ask you dozens of questions on, on your videos that you create for this really fun YouTube channel. But I want to focus on the storytelling. So can you give us maybe some insights on how you go about crafting the, the scripts for these videos? Well, um yeah, well, so I started my videos having no idea what I was doing. And <laughs> so if you if you start at my early ones and go forward, you can watch the learning curve uh, dramatically uh, go go forward. So when I started, I didn't really script them. I just had some bullet points, and I just kind of rambled in front of a camera. And eventually, I learned how to edit out all the parts where I paused to think. And then I it, it all started. I picked up a green screen one day. And I came up with a a separate persona that was supposed to be in the game. And eventually, I, I just needed some back and forth talk. So when I actually script them out... You needed a you know, sidekick. I needed a sidekick. <laughs> and at, at this point, I've got 
four sidekicks that I, I do with this, which means I'm wearing wigs and fake mustaches, and they're not they're not good fake mustaches. They're like the cheapest I could find. And so I, I I try to set it up to where I have so many inner cuts with my yeah, even if it's just a peanut gallery sort of comment. I uh, try to get about eleven to twelve in there, and kind of go through. This is what it's about. These are my criticisms, and then these are just my ideas to to do with it. And one of the things that I've noticed is when I look at other reviewers, they spend more time really focusing on the minutia of the the adventure and problems they see. And you normally I'll just kind of breeze past it, like, oh yeah, there's that problem. It's no big deal. Just be aware of it. Here's here's a crazy idea that I think would be fun of a totally different way you could approach this, because I just think that would be more helpful to people. And I'm a storyteller. I want to make it a fun story. And you know, some some game masters, I guess they haven't really figured out like all the potential you can squeeze out of some of these adventures that you know different publishers have put out. So we'll be back with more of our conversation with Seth Skorkowski after this brief promotional break. Introducing Archivos, the story mapping and development tool for today's storytellers. With Archivos, storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity, while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated now let's get back to the conversation with seth skorkowski well and i think there's a tendency on from with a critic's standpoint to be critical uh uh, to the point of you know drilling down getting obsessed with that minutiae and and forgetting the the intent and purpose of the game experience to begin with yeah, and the other thing, and this is just one of those little side rants I have, is every everything that I review, every adventure I review, I have run. So it's not that I just read it. It is like, okay, here's my first-hand experience doing this. Uh, and uh, I think that actually gives a much different insight than someone that just simply you know, reads the, the module book versus actually tries to do what the module book says. Uh, for, <laughs> so that's... So they'll look at stuff that's like, I didn't even think about that because it didn't make any difference. Or I'll find stuff that you don't really notice when you're reading the adventure versus when you actually try to run the adventure. That's when a lot of hidden hitches suddenly appear. Or and, opportunities. Uh, so, I usually try to, mm-hmm. yeah, so I try to warn people about, this is what I figured out when we actually ran it versus, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> I, I went to the lot and I looked at the car and I kicked the tire. So here's my review of the car. And I'm like, I drove it. And this is... This is how it drives. Well, and that gives you more credibility, I think, in terms of uh, uh, credentials as a reviewer when you when you talk about what your experience was when you were actually running the game. Mm-hmm. 
It definitely does. It definitely comes through. It's a, it's an interesting like, and and I have to admit, I didn't go back to the beginning of your video. I'm just curious. Like I, I watched it, the latest video. I watched quite a few of them when I should have been doing other things. But it's all good. It was much more entertaining. Um, like, did you start off having the pieces of story? Like you mentioned that you change your direction quite a bit. But at what point did you think, wow, I need to make this craft this into more of a narrative because it's what I want to do? Or did it just naturally evolve that way? It, it sort of naturally evolved. It, it kind of came about, I had done a, I'd done a few reviews, and then I kind of went nuts one day, and I bought a green screen on Amazon. <laughs> and I had it, and I didn't know what to do with it. And finally one day I'm like... You just bought well, it, because you had to have a green screen. <laughs> I, I planned on eventually using it, but you know, months down the road, and I'm sitting there, it's like, well, I've got this stupid thing, and I spent, you know... Twenty dollars on this green screen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it, and uh, so I learned, I hung it up, but I, 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 I put on some, I put on a suit and a fedora, and I put on some kind of a, a sepia tone, and I took on a different persona and did some little skits with it, and then <sighs> blended that in, and then eventually it becomes this character that I interact with, and then I wanted to show examples of players, so I had to come up with a player persona, and I would go back and forth with a player and i needed a different voice <laughs> and when i and when my hair was long i'd have my hair down for it and then i cut a haircut so now i have to wear one of my wife's wigs and it looks <laughs> terrible on me. the continuity is so important it is it is so important that, that is this is the pain that i go through is i wear this really ugly wig uh with a hat on backwards on top of it and it, it's it just beautiful <laughs> It really takes out the contours of your face. It's it's perfect. <laughs> so so Seth, hypothetically, let's say you know eventually on down the road, uh, uh, the the Seth Skorkowski style of of RPG video has become a template, a a, a, a meme, a a uh, trope of role playing game uh, uh, review programs. What defines the Seth Skorkowski system of RPG review? Mostly my system is uh, to, to get the information out and make it, make it enjoyable. I want it to make it just funny and amusing, but at least uh, kind of an intelligent way to look at it and open up a different way people can look at the whole thing. Uh, so there's, like I said, there's a lot of skits and humor, but at the same time, there's a lot of... Here's a lot of creative ideas to change your your view of how you could approach these scenarios or this you know game system when I do a full game system review. Okay, I can absolutely see that. I can see the value of it, uh, and that and that I think really speaks to to why you you've enjoyed the success that you have on YouTube. Is it's very clear that your intent is to facilitate and support the storytelling experience of the game masters out there. So you know, kudos. Kudos for, oh. for championing that vibe, sir. Oh, hopefully it'll get me into a con or two as well. That's the, <laughs> Indeed. That's the secondary motivation. Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> there, there, there is no true altruism in the world anymore. We're, we're, we, we want to be in service to our community and get into cons. I'm totally Pretty with much. you there, brother. <laughs> Well, let me let me uh, shift vibes just a little bit here, Seth, and get a little squishy on you. Um, <laughs> it's inevitable. We got to get a little squishy. One of those start asking questions that maybe have no answers. In looking at your uh, evolution of work thus far, um, looking at uh, uh, 
you know, the, the, the Black Raven series, which, as you observed, is pure pulp uh, uh, and, and is working that flavor of the week or adventure of the week vibe. Damon had a very strong action-adventure vibe. Hunassier was much more of a... It, it had a different voice. There, You were working a mystery-horror angle. And Ibenus, uh I mean, I haven't read it, honestly, but as from what I understand, there's a love triangle in it. Yes. There's a romance in there. So uh, you seem to be ex- either A exploring your craft by by purposely pushing yourself into different narratives frameworks and structures or your each of these stories is calling for a, a a different type of of story voice as you move forward so first of all i'm curious is are these conscious things and if so uh tell us a little bit about the core vibe of redemptor to get a sense of what that continuing journey is for you Okay. Um, it, it's a very conscious decision. Yeah, I, I, I did Dameron, and it was a, this international action adventure, and it was a lot of fun. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want it to be the series that's just international action adventure. So the second one, I kind of went out of my way to make it as different as I could. And that one was a, wasn't a large cast, it was one person, and it was this New Orleans horror noir mystery. And then I went back with Ibenus, and I did a love triangle, and I wanted to have some romance. And when your mom reads your sex scenes, that's that's the most uncomfortable damn thing in the world. It, I, I even told her, "Don't read this chapter," and she read it. And I'm like, "Oh God, mom, don't even look at me. Don't, don't look at me." Um, Writer world problems right there. Holy crap! It's 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 weird. And um, Redemptor is. Oh, it's a very different one than the others. It doesn't have as much of a theme as much as it's about discovering. It's more about self-discovery because mm-hmm. I've just, I've actually done multiple point of view in this one, which I only started in the, the third book. So multiple point of view and bringing in new people that want to feel worthy. So I've that that are kind of dealing with their own insecurities. Okay. So I, so that is a running theme throughout it, but it's not just about that. It's just it, all the points of view. That is a big part of them is dealing with their own uh, insecurities. Am I am I worthy of the responsibility I have? Am I am I worthy of you know the what my friends think about me hmm. and and all of that? So okay, it's a much more emotional book than they started out as but this one is has the most in common with the first book so it's yeah kind of grown up it's it's coming Uh, full circle sure part of that is i i as an author i've i've changed you know you you knock out a few hundred thousand words and then you you go back and you look at where you start it's like oh wow i've i have evolved (laughs) hopefully uh, yeah hopefully which that was the weird thing i was mentioning a edited a black raven story that was 10 years old and i'm like man i like this but i'm not the same guy that wrote this this (laughs) you're almost not qualified to edit it anymore (laughs) well it it was it was kind of weird because yeah it was it was a completely different author um my own reading has exploded the past few years like um yeah every book that i'm reading at the time that i write a book whenever i go through and i read it again i can I can see the influences of what I was reading at that time. 
So when I first started off, it was a lot of fantasy and a lot of pulpy stuff. Uh, but now I, I actually read a lot of stuff outside my genre and pull it in. So Silence of the Lambs ended up being one of the biggest influences really? on, uh, on Redemptor. And it had to deal with Clarice being the, the woman in the FBI trying to see if she was worthy. So I, I don't pull in the, the Hannibal the Cannibal and all that stuff. It's more no. of just these aspects of that character. Sure, sure. That seeing seeing Clarice's arc awoke something that you resonated with, and so you wanted to explore it through your writing. Yeah, and, and so that's uh, I've kind of enjoyed the, the past few years. I've become very, very broad in what I'm reading, and it's really influenced me. Cool. That well, and yeah. I, I, so I guess the the last question, because we are running out of time, then is what are you striving towards as as you evolve and build? Is is can you can you look ahead and see what you f- are preparing yourself for? Oh man, I, I I really want that New York Times bestseller stamp. Um, <laughs> the, the the next big things that I, I want to do is. Uh, well, the, the current project that I'm trying to, to query right now, uh, to me, is actually one of the, the biggest steps. Uh, Clive Barker was one of my biggest influences when I was younger. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I said for years he was the best kept secret in fantasy because everybody knew him as the, the horror author. Sure. Which his short stories were. But his novels are, are pure fantasy. And they're normally portal fantasy. So for years, I thought of fantasy as just being portal fantasy, but his was, you know, adult and dark. So I decided to kind of write something, you know, kind of in the vein of like, I want to, I want to give something that gives that same feeling that I had when I was younger and reading this stuff. Now, I, I only found out after I was almost done writing it that people think portal fantasy means kid story. So that's been an awkward conversation of like, <laughs> no, it's not Narnia. <laughs> Not Narnia, and like, no. like Clive Barker and no. King's Dark Tower, and they, they still hear portals, and they think of you know talking raccoons. Think, think Imagica, uh, people. Think Weave <laughs> World for crying out loud. Thief of Time. Oh my God. This yeah. is wrong with the world. <laughs> well, it's it's really weird because when you start querying, like they're like no portals, and like because I don't like YA. It's like you, you guys realize this. Some are like. You know, horror authors and kid authors are the two that go for portals. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> either end of the spectrum yeah. <laughs> are, the, are the ones that love to do portals to other worlds. And to me, that was fantasy growing up. Is um, Magicka blew my mind. And then, you know, Great and Secret Show and Weave World and all those. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to get to that point where I'm I'm having my, my epic story that is what I used to imagine an epic story should be when I was younger and really getting into the genre. Interesting. So, yeah, and I, I think I think you're I think you're uh, uh, gr- gravitating or grabbing on to the new weird uh, uh, tag. It's, I think is probably going to see you better than Portal Fantasy. The, the new weird tag is exactly what it falls into, and, okay. and, I, and I loved what I discovered. That's what it's called. The problem is, it's it's it. The new weird tag is so new and so vague <laughs> that. <laughs> But most people have no idea what it is. And, uh, Perfect. Like, no, you can like, define it for them. <laughs> and uh, uh, genre tags are, are weird. Um, urban fantasy. Most people think of uh, detective first-person noir sure. stories because you know Dresden and Anita Blake. They kind of trailblazed it. Right. So if you if you write something and call it urban fantasy and it doesn't fall into that kind of 
click, people don't know what to take of it. So uh, it's kind of like, it's not in the definition of the genre tag. It's kind of our perception of what it is based off of what we know. Sure. So, which is why I said Portal Fantasy people think is nothing but kid stuff. And then New Weird, I think they say, well, that's either China Meevil or, or nothing. And yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and, you know, you, you throw in Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, uh, I mean, there are people that are defining that, that headspace. Uh, even even Mike Underwood uh, explored a little New Weird in his explorations in, in SpecFic. Well, look, Seth, this is fascinating, but the clock uh, uh, has once again drawn pistols and a glowing machete, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's menacing me with, with malice aforethought, almost certainly. Um, we are way over time, and I'm okay with that, because this was a fabulous conversation. Seth, thank you so much, man. This has been a blast. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Marie... I know you're out of practice. You haven't done this for a while, but this is the part of the show where you think back on that conversation and you share with us the ideas that really jumped out at you that you think will help you as a writer. I have like a vague memory <laughs> long ago of these times, Dave. It's fuzzy, but I'll try. I'll I, I, try. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, you know, the thing that I took away from this, and it's not something that was actually specifically mentioned, uh, is the enthusiasm for writing. The, you know, even 10 years later, I'm editing something and I might be sick of it, but it's okay because it's moving forward. The, I've written this many words and I'm, I'm trying to sell this and I'm still striving for that New York Times bestseller, but I'm still thinking about story and I'm still trying to get better. And I understand there's so much room for me to grow and, and become a part of. And it's that, that enthusiasm that uh, I found he just brought naturally to the conversation that for me, I, I found completely inspiring. I, you know, I, I kind of actually I need to we, we've never done this before, but I'm going to kind of uh, uh, take what you said and look at it from a different perspective. I absolutely agree. But it was it was the evolution of uh, his his writing styles. It's the fact that, you know, before his reading was very much in a very narrow field. But now as he's written more, as he's immersed himself in his craft more, that the the world has changed. His perspective of the craft has changed. And consequently, his engagement with his world has changed. That fascinates me. And, and it's, it's, you know, some people have the ability to control or define that evolution and you know for those people more power to you but it as you say that passion and i think also mm-hmm. that that surprise of of discovery that is ongoing in seth's work and in his life i think that's i think i agree it's inspiring and affirming that we all as we move forward through any craft that we want to master are going to be changed by that craft and we should yeah. be and that's a part of our our growth in, uh, as as creators completely yeah awesome i love it i do too i do too friends i hope you love the two here's the thing now come back in seven days 
And as awesome as that conversation was, we're going to pick it up again. We're going to bring Seth back. Marie will be here. I will be here. We're going to add into the mix a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer. Uh, They're going to pitch a story that's going to lay down the foundation for an incredible brainstorm. Uh, There will be ideas pinging around literary gold, hurtling like meteors through the sky. It's going to be epic. But it's also going to be seven days from now. And I know that's a long darn time. Marie, can you help us out, ma'am? What what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to make that time just fly by? You know, something I think I'm going to do myself, uh, which has been inspired by Seth, is look at my career. And I see it as a long-term game. It's, it's, it's a long game. And look at what the next small steps are, as opposed to always dreaming about that big contract, is what are the next few steps that you want to achieve, things that are completely realistic and within your power to do so. And I think achieving those things is going to be uh, invigorating, to say the least, and inspiring. So that's what I recommend we all do. That's excellent. Take a look at the terrain around you and and just Mm -hmm. look ahead to those next few steps because you clearly have many choices to choose from uh, and each of those steps is very much squarely in your control. Exactly. Awesome. I love that. That's an excellent exercise, Marie. Uh, And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the holy frijoles. Look look for the next couple of steps down whatever path you want to prefer. Uh, uh, and friends, if you look for that stuff, if you look for the awesome in the world, I promise you, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Insights is copyright 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Insights was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.